well, the beer was called Tears of Enzo. So if you, it was Ferrari red, this beer. It was, it was ridiculous. And uh, so the brewer poured it for us and let us taste it. And he said, what is it? And we were like, oh, it's a, strawberries and raspberries and it's like oh it's really fruity oh, it's incredible and it was a it was a little bit tart um not sour but yeah really elegant and uh didn't taste so much of strawberries and raspberries but it smelt like them so he said oh this is uh yeah this is the beer that i i brewed you know where do you think the color comes from and we said oh the fruit and he said no there's no fruit in it there's only barley in it Wow. Uh, he said we we've developed a grain uh, a variety of barley, um, which is red, and oh, wow. he showed us this barley in it, and it produces this red beer. He also said that he didn't use any hops in this particular beer, um, so that's why it could be in a clear bottle, and the flavors and aromas literally came from the barley as well. So the, that those strawberry and raspberry aromas that, that we got. So oh. then, um, and that that was called Tears of Enzo. Tears of Enzo. Is that can you buy that? Or? Well, in one restaurant in the world, right. which is a Michelin star restaurant in Copenhagen, and they sell it for two hundred euros a bottle. Okay, we're not going. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the White Basement Podcast. Follow us uh, at White Basement Pod. Uh, on Instagram is the best place to keep up with the podcast. Today, I am super excited to be joined by Mitch Adams. He is the operations manager and beer buyer at Eurobooza, a craft beer distributor and consolidator. And I really am super excited for this one because I do love a good beer. <laughs> Mitch, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Hello. And Gosha's here as well. Well, I couldn't miss this one. <laughs> Wherever there's alcohol involved, Gosha will be here. So, um, yeah, so so we, we well, we've kind of connected after uh, we had Riaz on to do the episode on wine. Yeah. And uh, as we were leaving, I said, do you know anyone who I can talk to about beer? And he said, yes, <laughs> you need to talk to Mitch. And he just lives down the road. So, um, so here we are. And... Um, yeah, I, I'd sent you a few little uh, kind of topics maybe that we could cover. And I think it's it's always good to start with a little bit of history. So maybe you can uh, just give us your kind of your your beer background um, to get started and we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. I um, Well, I think like most people, I worked in pubs when I was younger. That was my sort of my first job was in a pub kitchen at 16, washing plates and putting salads and things and having a cheeky beer with the chef after work and and that and then um I just carried on working in pubs when I went to uni and worked all the way up probably worked more in the pub than I did on my degree which um showed did you and pass? I, I I did I got a third which I was quite surprised at um but uh in nothing related in computer science and artificial intelligence the third was miraculous right. um, based on the amount of time I've put into the studies I guess but having worked in, in pubs in Brighton um, and then I moved up to London and carried on and uh, I, mean, I think until I got to London I didn't really kind of love beer okay so I drank beer but I didn't really and even in Brighton I worked in a brew pub called the Font and Firkin and we had a brewery on site but 
the brewer was just this odd man in white wellies that nobody spoke to and you know we didn't really understand we weren't really drinking cask ale which is what he was brewing so okay and then I moved to London and uh, I started work at the flask in Highgate Village oh yeah yeah. and um, I was working for a guy called Andrew Cooper and he loved beer and we had some amazing beer. We had lots of Belgian and German beers on draft. We had lots of cask ale. And it was changing all the time. And I learned to look after it and got interested. And then, yeah, just sort of fell in love with beer from then. And and, and so um, you, were, just as we were coming in, you said you, you were at another company before Euroboozer. Yeah. Which is so a super cool name for a company, by the way. Euroboozer is, uh, yeah, it's an interesting name for a company and it, it doesn't really do necessarily justice to the kind of products that we that we sell because it sounds, some people have told me it sounds like it's a sort of cash and carry I mean, kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> and and we're, we're, we have some of the best beers, we think, in in, the, yeah, in, the, in Europe and, and in the UK. It sounds to me, I mean, I, 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 I think I'm probably a little bit older than you, but it, it almost sounds kind of like the, the 80s football hooligan firms of like, we'll take you <laughs> to Europe <laughs> well. to, <laughs> to watch football and get drunk and bring you back again. I mean, my, my, my boss is um, uh, similar age to me and he started the company when he was in his early 20s. Right. Importing beer from Europe. Okay. So his family's from Austria. And he always had delicious beer when he went home and he couldn't understand why at uni he was drinking stuff that was horrible. And that's how the company got founded. He literally wanted to get better beer over here. So he started importing the delicious Austrian lagers that he found when he went back to see family um, in Austria. And uh, so, yeah, in his early 20s, importing beer from Europe, Eurobuza. Is what it was, and it stuck. And so. it's it's about. Is it? Did I see on the website? It's about fifteen, sixteen years now. It's been. Really uh, I think long. actually that's probably out of date. So yeah, it's almost twenty years. Um, okay. I think it's nineteen this year and twenty next year that, that since he since he founded it. Um, and yeah, we do a lot more than that now. But um, I've been there, been with with Martin at Eurobeza for four and a half years, and before that, I was working for Borough Wines. Um, they had sort of eight shops, and I was the operations manager for the shops the wholesale business and the beer buyer beer and spirits buyer and before that i was running pubs so the bull in highgate um before that i had my own pub up in essex on the essex suffolk borders and we did a lot for beer we used to have a couple of beer festivals a year beer and food dinners all the time um we'd have you know beer book launches and all sorts going on all the time so and so have you got a a favourite beer or does it change as you go? Well, it changes, I suppose. It's funny, this comes up from time to time and uh, I guess it changes on my mood. Mm. But there is one beer that always springs to mind and it's a Belgian uh, Trappist Ale or Val. And uh, it's it's delicious. So that would be made by monks? Yes. Is that what Trappist monks? Yeah, by Cistercian monks. Cistercian monks. Yeah, or Trappist monks is uh, the same similar what type of beer is that uh so it's quite an unusual beer and most trappist breweries make maybe a cut two or three different beers and and a lot of them do more traditional belgian like a blonde and a blonde double uh, sorry a blonde triple and a brown double and then maybe a really strong one or something like that 
Um, and Orval just make this one beer, well, that they sell anyway. So it's a, a pale ale, but it's got a wild yeast uh, called Brettanomyces, um, the British yeast uh, mm -hmm. in it. It's quite a hoppy beer for a for a Belgian beer. So it's it's kind of a pale amber colour. It's got a nice bitterness from the hops, and then it's got this kind of real crisp um, funkiness to it. Just and it changes with age as well. So if you leave it in the bottle, um, it changes. So if you have a fresh one or a one or a two or a three year old, it's it's always changing. Interesting. So. Oh. And. Um, <coughs> Do they do those those guys do they drink the beer or are they yeah, are they well, allowed to drink it? Yes, absolutely. Uh but they actually do brew themselves a table beer. So there is they do brew two beers. Right. But the other one is only Have you ever have you ever had the monks? No, I've never is never, that on never your list been. or I'd love to go and do a, a tour of the Trappist breweries. When I, when I've been to Belgium before, tended to kind of go and visit some of the new um breweries and uh yeah, I haven't made it to any of the Trappist ones just yet. But, but it's on the list. Maybe. One day. One, One day. day. Probably when I retire. <laughs> then, I might, then I might have time. Yeah. <laughs> retire from drinking beer to drink more beer. So um, can, you, can you go over a little bit of actual beer history? Beer history? Yeah, I mean, well, we can start with, I think, probably the Sumerians leaving, supposedly, some barley out and it got wet and warm and then uh it fermented mm -hmm. and they thought well this is tasty and that's kind of where where beer came from but nobody really understood how it how it worked um or what it was they you know over time as we've kind of learnt either by trial and error or by applying science then it's got a lot more um consistent <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's probably the best way to describe it and um carlsberg did lots of work they've got the oldest um brewing laboratory in the world in uh, in copenhagen and the, the lab's still there i was i was there last year which was incredible and uh louis pasteur did a lot of work with them on brewing yeast um and prior to that people Yeast is an interesting character. So it eats sugar mm -hmm. and uh, the byproduct is it multiplies. So it has more, more yeast. Um, it creates CO2 and alcohol. Uh, so a very good friend of mine who's a, who's a beer writer describes it as yeast um, eats sugar, farts and parties. <laughs> <laughs> like a man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's like an unruly man. Uh, but you, however much yeast you start with, you end up with more after you've brewed. So if you're brewing a lot, you take the yeast that you had from the brew that's just been brewing and add that to the next and it keeps going and keeps it's going. So going. people, there's yeast on everything. There's yeast in the, in the air. There's yeast on apples. There's yeast in the barley. There's, so yeast was always kind of about. And if you left something nice and warm with lots of sugar in it lying around, then the yeast would attach itself and start fermenting and multiplying and that would 
keep kind of so, propagating. So, so say you're making beer from barley, you would you would mix barley with sugar and yeast and no. water. Well, or? you can do so. Some Belgians, some people will add sugar, and the Belgians will add sugar as well. You get your sugar from the barley, right? So. Um, the, there's four main ingredients to beer. So we've we've got the yeast, which I've talked about a little bit. We've got water. Um, we've got um, the malted barley, and then the final one is is hops. So ordinarily, you would malt the barley. So barley is quite a complex little seed. It's a little starch packet essentially. So that um, starch is quite difficult to break down. It's not. It's designed not to be very, so it won't rot, and animals or insects won't particularly go after it until it works out that it's in the right temperatures. So where it's kind of when it's spring, so when it's kind of warm and wet, then all of a sudden that creates a chemical reaction which changes all of the starch into simpler sugars, and it actually changes. And those simpler sugars are designed to be the food pod for the seed. So what um and then the seed will grow and carry on so in brewing we use uh, a product called malted barley malted barley is where we uh fool the seed so typically historically you'd lay it out on a big stone um floor underneath that would be heated you'd spray it with water right. and you'd turn it so you'd make it warm and wet. It would think it was spring. All of that starch would break down, turn into simple sugars because the yeast can't break down the starch, but it can break down the simple sugars. I'll try not to keep it too technical, but that's the oh, kind of basis of it. And then ultimately you then crank it. When it gets to the right spot, you crank the heat up to kill it so that it doesn't germinate because if it germinates it's not going to be any good so you're just waiting so you, for it to sort you wait of split. for it to get that right moment in time where the starch has turned to sugar and then you kiln it and then you've got all your brewing sugar so then when you crush that grain that malted grain um you can add water to it basically make a porridge and then you add yeast to that porridge so it's that kind of porridge that would have um fermented in mm. you know when the sumerians kind of first discovered fermenting anything the yeast was airborne uh you know they would have left something and it was wet and then mm -hmm. it got warm all of that would have happened and and so the 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 malting specifically refers to that process of warming it and yeah making warm, it wet so that it starts to yeah changing to change. changing the 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 starch to sugar and then kilning it so it stops so that's the that's the malting process. So you've got the the yeast, the water, the malted barley, and you can use other grains. You don't have to use all malted grains, but most beer will use predominantly mm -hmm. malted pale ale malt. And and then how? So so you have you you have that sort of porridge solution, and you add water to it. Yeah. So then you'd add more water. So you make you make quite a thick porridge. And then you would rinse that grain with more warm water so it draws all the sugars out. Um, and then once you've got all of that water, uh, at some point you're going to add yeast. Mm -hmm. We these days tend to boil the beer first and there's a couple of reasons why we do that. One is sterilisation. So once you've taken all the water from the grain and rinsed all the grain and got all those sugars, you've essentially got 
a Horlicks, just a malt, malted. Yeah, because malted—that's what I yeah. think of—is is and it, it, sm- and it smells yeah. like that as well. So that's essentially what you've got. You've got a malt drink. There's no alcohol in it. There's no hops in it at that point. And, it's and just that you could sugary. Drink. Yeah, we, we, and it delicious. would taste like Horlicks or whatever. Yeah. Oh, okay. So so could you could I have made beer out of my Horlicks when I was little? <laughs> you probably could if you'd added some yeast, yeast and got it to the right temperatures and all the other bits and pieces. Oh, God. Do, they I, still, do they still make Horlicks? I don't know. <laughs> It's an instant you, thing now, isn't it? Like yeah, you don't you don't remember Horlicks. I never right? had that. It was like a white. It was like a white um, powder. Yeah. That I would have like a spoon or two in warm milk before I go to bed when I was oh, little. Oh, okay, that yeah. makes sense. Always <laughs> yeah. oh, good oh, Horlicks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So once you've got your Horlicks, you <laughs> boil it, and that firstly sterilizes it. Um, they may not have done as much of that um historically and certainly you know going back hundreds of years they wouldn't have been doing that so are all beers sterilized now or there are some sort of i don't know natural ones that are not or pretty much everyone uh, does it most beers would still be boiled there's another reason why we do it as well and hops have an interesting uh have a few interesting properties which help with beer and one of them is that they're a natural preservative Mm. um so, but that characteristic of them only really comes out once you boil them for 45 minutes to an hour um, and some of the enzymes break down. And then once those enzymes are released, they help preserve beer. So that's, we add, we bring the beer up to the boil, we add the hops, we boil it for an hour ordinarily. Uh, and that will help with the sterilization and the preserving of the beer and the the longevity of it once it's once it's finished you then probably add hops at a couple of different stages after that because you won't have any aroma left from the hops that you've put in at the beginning um you'll have boiled it all away the same as if you left a tea bag in a pot of boiling water it'd be pretty bitter yeah and horrible by the time you finished um so then if you stick a fresh tea bag in at the end then you get all of the lovely aromas. So we put hops in at the end and you get different things from them, different characteristics, less bitterness, more aroma, some of those fruit flavours that you might be used to smelling in kind of modern pale ales and things. And so in terms of um, light beers and amber beers and dark beers and then things like IPAs, you know, with all kinds of different flavours or stouts with all kinds of different flavours, Though all of those sort of subtleties are are not just from the hops and the process. There's things added and yeah. I mean, that's the the amazing thing about beer is it's got four ingredients predominantly. You know, if we exclude people putting fruit in or you know doing strange things with beer, which is exciting, um, but the majority of beer has the same four ingredients. So the colour in beer comes from the malt. So we talked right. about pale malt. And most beers will be made of at least kind of 90% pale malt. But when you kiln that beer, if you roast it a little bit longer, the same as you do for coffee, Mm -hmm. uh, then you get a darker roast. Um, You don't get as much sugar from the beer because you kind of, you burn it. So it becomes less viable as a sugar source for the yeast, but it does add color and ultimately flavor to the beer. So a stout or a porter or a dark beer, any dark beer will be, very heavily pale malt, maybe 90%. And there'll be a small amount of dark 
roasted malts in there. Um, they might be very dark black malt. There's another malt called chocolate, which obviously gives off some kind of chocolatey flavours, but there's no chocolate in it. It's just the kind of the roasting level is the... So, so there's all sorts of different things like that. So fundamentally, the malt would be the same for a, a lighter beer and a darker beer, but then you're adding in a few bar, 10% different yeah, or whatever for yeah, the Yeah, bar some of the speciality malts where you'd add some colour and some of them would bring some flavour as well. Then you've got the water. So the water will affect the flavour as well. You know, there's a lot of water in beer. And... Um, so London water is very different to water mm -hmm. in Burton-upon-Trent. Burton-upon-Trent is a very famous brewing um, centre for, for, um, in the UK for pale ales and IPAs. It's where they, they were kind of born um, and where they, that's where when they were brewed there it took off. Whereas London was famous for porter, London porter and dark beers. So dark beers brewed very well with London water and paler hoppy beers brewed much better with Burton water. So what was so uh, specific about that water? Was it the hardness, the minerals? So, um, and I mean, you've got different water all over the world. So uh, yeah. Czech water, for example, is very soft um, mm -hmm. and uh, it works beautifully with, um, with hops. Uh, so Czech Pilsner is, mm -hmm. tends to be much hoppier. If you move over the border to Bavaria, to Munich area, which is famous for Helles Lager, Helles was originally, they think, a copy of Pilsner, but they had harder water. And when they put that amount of hops in, it didn't taste right. So they had to change the recipe and use less hops to accommodate the water. So Helles was born that way. Interesting. Um, so, so, the, so kind of regionally, different beers as they traditionally have evolved could well have just been down to the water that they had. And then yeah. they tried to build something around that, that this works with the water Absolutely. that we got. I mean, modern breweries now have water treatment plants, you know, even um, even craft breweries. So I was visiting Dea in Cheltenham recently and they've got an amazing um, reverse osmosis plant to treat their water. So they, wow. for every brew, they have a different water profile they want to use, or not every brew, but for different styles of beer. Yeah. So they will use reverse osmosis to get their water back to a, a base level and then they will add in what they need um, for each style of beer. So they will build the water profile up to what they want. Interesting. And and is it would it be then like the harder the water, the, the darker the beer or not necessarily? Not necessarily. Like hard water and hops don't go particularly well together. So, um, I mean, Burton had very soft water, which is why the really hoppy beers worked in the same way as the hoppy lager in uh, the Czech Republic. Um, so hard water does tend to go better with with darker beers mm. and soft water goes better with pale ales, but it's a just a rule of thumb. It's not yeah. it's not a given. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a little bit like with your coffee stuff, yeah, right? It is. With the yeah, water. that was actually one of my questions about <laughs> water because that's kind of like a really well, it's really important part of, of coffee, yeah. right? If yeah, you look absolutely. at filter coffee, it's like 98% of your drink is water. Uh, so I did wonder uh, about yeah, it's, water it's really for, important. for beer. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, the the I think most modern breweries, obviously it doesn't all end up in the beer, but most modern breweries would use anywhere between four and eight pints of water for every pint of beer that they produce. 
So some of that is lost during the boiling process or during the um, the mashing process, which is where you take the, the malted barley and add, add water and steep mm. it and you make the porridge. That's called mashing. So some will be lost in there and left in the grains and then there's a lot for cleaning, obviously. Mm. Um, but yeah. How long does it take to make beer? How long uh, is the process? So a, a, a brewery would take maybe... It depends brewery to brewery, but, you know, six to eight hours for a brew day. So from putting the grain and the water together to finishing boiling it to getting it into a tank for fermentation. So the final part, which I haven't kind of got to, we were boiling the beer and adding the hops. After that, it gets transferred to a fermentation tank and they would add yeast. And that's where the yeast gets now we use kind of commercially predominantly commercially viable yeast that people would buy or they would use their own yeast and keep it alive and propagate it but mm -hmm. um they would pitch that yeast very deliberately into the beer um the beer has to be at the right temperature so you don't kill the yeast and so it's got it's warm enough that it and how long does party. it go then in, in the tank well so fermentation might take anywhere from kind of four to seven or eight days depending on the beer and the yeast and the other conditions and then you condition the beer so a lager you take the yeast off a lager might be four to six weeks or you know budvar another czech beer is famously 90 days of uh of uh, conditioning so that's once the yeast has come out so what what's what happens in that conditioning process then uh there's um so most of the yeast would would come off there's still some going to be some in suspension and some of that yeast will be viable so that will be um helping add to the fermentation because it'll still be working away a little bit uh there's also quite a lot of unusual flavors that you get in um beer and leaving it to condition and rest uh those the enzymes will um or the the flavors the flavor compounds sorry will um will go away so uh You'll you'll lose some of those flavors, so or and you'll gain some yeah. others. So yeah, it depends on the style of beer. So a cask ale might be two weeks for from the first brew day to being in the cask and being sold off to a pub to go in the cellar. And But, and with the yeast, <coughs> when you said the yeast, uh, you take it out after eight hours or whatever. So is that is it in like a a net or something? No, how do you, so, how well, do you you've got two it? different types of yeast. You've got um, top fermenting yeast and bottom fermenting yeast. It's the difference between ale and lager. So all, so you've got beer, all ales are beers, all lagers are beers. Ale and lager are the two different things. And sometimes people get a bit confused So um, on which word means what. And, you know, they think that lager isn't beer because they think of beer as, like, brown yes. ale or brown bitter mm -hmm. that you know their dad or their granddad drank in the pub so but beer is the overarching term and then you've right. got ale and lager and they're separated by primarily the yeast that is used um and lager yeast ferments uh it, it sinks and it ferments at the bottom of the tank um and usually at colder temperatures which is why lager was so popular in um, Bavaria and um, Europe, they were able to put their beer into cellars and caves 
And so Pilsner Raquel in the Czech Republic had a big cave and they would drop um, an ice, ice blocks into the entrance of the cave so that all year round those caves were refrigerated, keeping the beer yeah. at a cold temperature. Beer didn't tend to used to get brewed in the summer because it was too hot um, and the beer would spoil. So they would brew all through the cooler months and then they would store it for the summer in these cooled caves. In, in Munich, they put... They built um, massive cellars um, and all the beer gardens that you have today in Munich, most of them are on top of old cellars. So the Augustina uh, Brewery has this enormous um, beer garden which seats something like 8,000 people or something. It's absolutely ridiculous. And what they worked out was that um, at first it was just a big open expanse and they had a little tap there which people would come and drink and then gradually more and more people would come and it got busy and so they had this big kind of park they started growing trees because they would stop the ground heating up as much because the shade from the trees so that even helped keep the beer even cooler um so you've got lager yeast which works better at cooler temperatures and ferments at the bottom which also means it's less susceptible to any infection because it's, it's protected, it's submerged. And then you've got ale yeast, which if you've been to a British family brewery tour, Hook Norton or Adnams or, you know, someone like that, you'll have seen the big foaming kind of yellow crust on the top of the ale fermenters. Yeah. And, that's, and that's an ale yeast and that ferments on the top. So that's a, a top cropping yeast. Um, so, yeah, you've got these two different types and they work slightly differently they do slightly mm-hmm. different things they bring out different flavors lager yeasts tend not to impart much flavor on the beer at all whereas lots of ale yeasts do i was going to say lot i mean I, we don't really drink lager right no, but no, i no. my my memory of lager is it doesn't taste to anything or <laughs> <laughs> well, not much well a good one should yeah so. i'm sure it should <laughs> my, i mean my yeah my memory of well let's say my 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 memory of them is that they're they're quite um, maybe quite one-dimensional, a little bit flat. Whereas what we've tended to be drinking more recently, are like IPAs and things like that, which have got flavours and flavours and flavours. Obviously, stuff added to them. But um, you know, it, it might just be the case that because I remember drinking lager when I was younger and I was always hammered, I couldn't taste it anyway. <laughs> And yeah. you couldn't afford a good one. Probably. I mean, yeah. uh, lagers are definitely a more uh, delicate, subtle. Quite often, I think you're, you're right, they're a little bit more one-dimensional. But if you get a good one, um, then it does have a depth of flavour and it's very refreshing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it depends on what you're, what mm. you're drinking mm. for. How yeah. would you know you are getting a good one? Is it really that is the price that we should go uh, well, I would say the first thing to do would be look to countries that are very good at producing lager historically. So Germany, mm-hmm. Czech Republic, um, Europe is we import a lot from Austria as well, which is obviously borders both of those two regions. Um, so, um, yeah, I would say those those three countries um, and that part of Europe is the kind of central lager lands. So if you're getting if you're getting good uh, beer from and go for the style that's good in that region. So in in Munich it would be Helles. So you go for a brewery like Augustina, 
which is world famous for making some of the best Heller-style yeah, yeah, lager. My, um, the best beer I've ever had, I've, I've, I'm sure I've, I've told this, I'm sure I told it on the podcast, but the best beer I ever had was in Austria that was uh, locally made. But it was because we, so it was like a work <laughs> uh, weekend thing. And it was in the winter. And the basically they took us sort of trekking in the snow. And the guy who was our guide was an ex-Olympic skier who'd like always lived there. And he took us, I, I can't remember exactly, but it was, I don't know, maybe somewhere between 8 and 11 hours just trudging through the snow, up and down and up and down, saying, oh, it's just a little bit further, don't worry. I can we see why it was the best beer you've ever had. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah literally. And we, and, we, and we ended up at this little, um, like, little kind of chalet restaurant thing halfway up this mountain. It was dark by that time. And... All they had was um, was the best meal I've ever had and the best beer I've ever had. They had these like cast iron skillets, like kind of a bowl skillet thing. And it was potatoes, onions, um, some cured meat and stuff, and a couple of eggs cracked on the top and then just put in the fire. And then like a litre, what what do they call them, those giant... A mass or a stein. Stein, yeah, of, of, of cold beer. Best, best meal, best beer I've had ever in my life. And then the crazy thing was, so this guy had been taking us walking, walking here and there. And even though like by the time we got there, everyone was like exhausted and eating and everyone was thinking, shit, like how are we going to get back to the hotel? And then it was like, oh, it's just there. He'd been just literally taking us left, right, forwards, backwards. You didn't know where you were. But it was literally, we'd just been sort of going around okay. in circles for <laughs> 10 hours. But yeah, that was, that, was my, that was my most kind of memorable like beer experience. So that, that would have been a lager probably. Yeah, probably. An Austrian local speciality. Yeah, which part of Austria were you in? Mountains. Yeah, mountains. <laughs> so sort of uh, in the, on the west, like near Salzburg or? No, geography is horrible. Yeah. I'll tell you how it's, bad it's, how bad this well, geography. Well, remember that it's Austria, at least that. <laughs> yeah, I remember it was Austria. But you know, I'll tell you how bad my geography is. I thought Ireland was on the Wales side of England. Or is it? It is. Oh, I f- no, the yeah, other no, side you're then. you're doing all right. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was on the, o- on the wrong side for a bit <laughs> till I was about 40. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's on the other side. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I don't know, it was, in, it was in Austria. But, yeah, geography was not my, not my strong point. I don't know what my strong point was, really, but <laughs> geography it wasn't. What did you pour for us? Well, I heard right, a, little, okay. a yeah. little can so open. I, I, I brought a couple of beers along so we can have a little taste. Um so yeah, it'd be interesting to see what you think. I see you snuck a sneaky peek. But... Cheers. Right. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. So yeah, we're drinking out of some interesting little That is a very, glasses, very cold glass. Are you slipping? If you're listening Should at you home. Should you slip? If you're listening at home. <laughs> is there any special way of tasting beer? Um, or you yeah, just so I mean, the, uh, <laughs> I would say it's, I don't know the best way to taste coffee, but I would say it's pretty similar and... Um, the aroma is just as important as mm-hmm. um, the taste on your tongue as well. So with beer, there's um, there's bitterness in beer, in all beer, obviously some more than others. IPAs and best bitters have a lot more bitterness than lagers. Um, but your bitterness receptors are towards the back of your 
sides of your tongue. Mm-hmm. So unless you actually swallow the beer, you won't get the full experience because if you, like a wine taster would spit, if you do that with beer, your bitterness receptors don't get right. any of the beer. Okay. So you have to have a little taste Terrible. of everything <laughs> if you're tasting beer. So that's really important. But I mean, looking at it to see, firstly, is it appealing, smelling it to make sure it's got the aromas that you're expecting and nothing that you wouldn't. So typically you wouldn't expect a beer to taste like vinegar, for example. And that would mean it was, unless it was maybe a Belgian sour uh, or yes. a Flemish red or something yes, like that. We had that so there's always, mm-hmm. there's always exceptions. Um but yeah, making sure it smells how it should, um, having a look and yeah, having a taste, but actually, actually swallowing. Um, and yeah, ultimately you want to get your whole, uh, your nose and your mouth. So everything and don't, going together. Yeah. yeah, we did do a little, um, skittle test. do you know the Skittles? The Skittles yeah. test, yes. Uh, Have you tried that? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's really uh, good. Was it uh, or, or a factory? Or, yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah, we, yeah. we did Beyond it on, my... the, on the coffee episode. But uh, Yusuf, I actually we did bought, that today at work. We bought my yeah. friend Yusuf in <laughs> and and me. And yes, we could. Well, he's he had some problem with his adenoids <laughs> when he was a kid. Poor excuse. <laughs> and he couldn't tell any difference. So I, I can definitely, you know, with nose closed yeah. and nose open, I can get the the sweetness with my nose closed and, and the flavors. But I still got the lemon and the lime wrong. Right. right. Okay. This is actually interesting thing because I did that test today uh, of the course that I delivered, and I used the yellow one for everyone. I had six people, four of them said it was orange. Yeah, because citrus, <laughs> so we said right? That but citrus we need is to, quite similar, it, I think. It is very know, similar. They have a lot yeah. of similar characteristics. I think, I think Skittles just got the trunk and the colours. <laughs> yeah, we bag. need to give them feedback. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think of the beer then? I, hmm. I quite like that. That's, I think this that's more really your nice. style, right? It's like a IPA. Yeah, hazy pale ale kind yeah. of. Um, it's alcohol free as well. No. You know what? I did, I did wonder because... I I was just quickly skimming through the website earlier on, and you got that on special, right? Uh, yeah, we've just you started got three, working with three crates for the price of two. Yeah, we've just started working with Brulo, and um, they've got they're some of the best alcohol-free beers that I think I've had. That's that's okay. pretty in a while. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I would never ever guess this yeah, is this alcohol. Yeah, this is lust for life, and it's um, I I think it it stands out just against any kind of pale ale really it's yeah so we're going to put we're going to put links for all of these in the show mm-hmm. notes but if you want a kind of a nice that's on a on a hot day that would be super refreshing super day. delish yeah so and out completely zero alcohol yeah. yeah wow yeah this one you can go for guys yeah. now the next beer we're going to austria Oh, again. Back to Austria. Back to Austria. <laughs> which, which part of no, Austria? You need to go for a walk first. Okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll be back in, I'll be back oh, in 10 hours. Come, come back. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go get some eggs. Uh, so we're, um, we're in Salzburg. And uh, this is a, a, a beer from Stiegel Brewery. And um, Stiegel's the biggest independent brewery in Austria. And it, I mean, it's one that we import. Um, obviously, and this is the uh, Radler. Radler it comes from the, the German to cycle, um, and it's essentially a pre-made oh. shandy. Oh wow! So That's Stie- yeah, so Stiegel make their own 
grapefruit soda for this one. So they make it and they mix it. Yeah, grapefruit. That's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> See, citrus fruits are confusing. Right, there they are. So, so this is um, this is only two percent. So it's a uh, they take their uh, main lager that they produce, Goldbroy, and they blend it with their own oh, um, grapefruit oh, soda that they make in the brewery, uh, and. Yeah, it's oh, that, that type delicious. of beer is quite popular in Poland, especially like my mum would even drink that. Is that popular in UK? Radler's getting more getting popular. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is um, literally that like a shandy, a shandy, but a, the first but a time ever I, I tried yeah. was not like a lemonade yeah. kind of synthetic, like a flat yeah. kind of. Yeah, so it's, it's popular in in, in Europe for Radler. a lot of people have it after exercise. Um, Okay, because it's uh, it's not it's not too alcoholic. It's kind of very yeah, refreshing. You know, there's you know there's what? lots of good things in beer that are good for replenishing the body. You know, in all obviously, all yeah, in I moderation. It's kind of isotonic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna. Um, well, actually, interestingly, so we do a lot of jujitsu. This is why we started the podcast because originally it was going to be a jujitsu podcast, but then it became alcohol podcast. Alcohol podcast. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, the, the the last time I went to the Euros, which is one of the biggest competitions in the world, the guy who beat me up in my first fight, and that was the end of that, as soon as he, he finished his fights, he opened a, a can of beer. And he said, like, this is what I always have after training. And I was like, he won the gold medal. I mean, there's... Hard yeah. to argue. <laughs> yeah, something to, something well, to be said. Arnold Schwarzenegger's got a so. fridge full of Stiegel Rattler. You know, I was gonna yeah. say genuinely. This, this I'm gonna I'm gonna see about getting uh, some of this to keep at the resistance oh, for after training. That's, yeah, 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 yeah. Boys, so what if you property? train at resistance, <laughs> you're in for a treat. So, what properties beer has that is really good for after workout? Uh, uh, vitamin the, B, I think. Yeah, I think you're going beyond my science mm. level. That's okay. <laughs> Someone told me, uh-huh. or many people have told me, and I. But yeah, I don't know the. He puts hairs on your chest. That's apparently. fine. We will just. But yeah, um, stick with that. Is good. Yeah, for in you. in Germany, um, wheat beer. I think they use a lot, and there's Germans are really good at making alcohol-free beer. And they make a lot of alcohol-free wheat beers. Right. And they're really good as well. Um, there's. Uh, a f- there's a there's one that's available in the supermarkets pretty readily. Um, Erdinger, it's in a blue bo- blue label, um, and that's really good. We import another one from a little monastery brewery called Andex, just outside Munich, um, and again, really really good quality. Tastes just like you know, it doesn't have any flavour that would make you think it was alcohol free. So a lot of people in um, in Germany will drink alcohol free wheat beer as a kind of isotonic mm. post-exercise drink as well, or Radler maybe. But. Does anyone make a protein beer? <sighs> don't know. I'm oh. sure someone will. Someone's probably done something. Someone's... That's us. Yeah. Some, you, one tried. of those with some amino acids in it. I mean, now you're, now you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> Brewdog got in trouble for claiming one of their beers had five, that you were five a day in it. <laughs> that's a bit of a five of your portions of alcohol yeah <laughs> something like that but is it one of the IPAs <laughs> really fruity yeah I think there was actually, actually some fruit in it but. so so just on on that um, Radler 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 Radler, yeah. Radler. so that is grapefruity yeah 
That, has that got grapefruit added to it? Yeah, they make a they make a, a grapefruit soda, like a grapefruit lemonade. Right. With real grapefruit. So it's a natural soda that they make. And um, so that they would... do a lemon one and they do a raspberry one as well. And they use proper fruit and make a because yeah, it's not too sweet at all, but it's that that would account for the low alcohol because it's the beer is diluted with yes. uh, an alcohol-free. Yeah, it's soda. literally yeah. mixed. I think okay. it's mixed sixty forty, so sixty percent grapefruit soda and forty percent. Um, mm, yeah, that is really good. Five percent lager, so it ends up at two percent. Yeah. Okay, Austria. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Shout out to Austria. Yeah. Still, they're still killing it. <laughs> From whenever it was um, twenty years ago. Yeah. So, so the, go right. So because we already touched on a few different types of beers, but maybe you can talk us through the main types types of beers that yeah, are so out there. Yeah, so we got to kind of mm -hmm. lager and yeah. ale, didn't we? Mm -hmm. um, so under ale, you've got a, a whole multitude yeah. of styles. So everything from pale ale, which is obviously an ale, it's in the name. Uh, stout and porter are ales. Best bitter is an ale. Um, most Belgian beers are ales. Um, so you've got sour beers, you've got all sorts that maybe some of those bridge the categories. And then under lager, you've got uh, Pilsner, which originated in the Czech Republic. You've got Helles, and they're the kind of two most popular pale lager styles around the world. But then you've got um, stronger styles of lager called Bock, um, you can have pale box, you can have dark box, you can have a dark lager called a Dunkel, uh, or a Dunkel if it's in Munich, it might be called a Schwarzbier elsewhere in Germany. So, yeah, different styles of um, and different colours of lager, and I think that quite surprises people sometimes that they can have a black or dark lager. Yeah, because um, I would think a dark beer is a, is a stout or a porter yeah. or whatever and and just to reiterate the difference between the lagers and the ales is is literally the yeast being on the top or primarily the yeah and then because of the yeast there's a couple of things that happen differently so lagers tend to take longer to produce and lager actually comes from the german word to store so mm -hmm. when i was talking about all those beers that were being stored in caves that were being kept cool they were lagers right um so yeah lager comes from the term to store and the longer you stored it that maturation process helps kind of mellow the beer out and some of the more harsh flavors or some of the things that you didn't want in there will kind of ease out of the beer over time but um but yeah there's all sorts of different styles of lager as well and then there's a few kind of hybrid styles so you've got a um a beer style called, uh, or a town in Germany called Cologne, uh, which is famous for one beer style. And technically, you can only call your beer Kolsch if, I think it's actually a, a radius now, but it used to be said that you could only call your beer Kolsch if you could see the cathedral from the brewery. Oh, really? <laughs> so um, a bit like the champagne champagne. Yeah. Uh, and Kolsch is brewed like a lager, but with an ale yeast. So it has a top fermenting yeast that ferments at cooler temperatures, but they still store it. So it's kind of like, right. it's a hybrid. It's a mixture, yes. yeah. Is it good? Yeah, Kolsch is it's really delicate. Um, and it's usually served in very, very thin, tall, delicate glasses. Um, like a really, you know, they're like really tall, thin gin and tonic glasses. Yes. Kind yeah. of almost like one of those. 
Um, we've got all this stuff we're going to have to try now. But yeah, it's really delicate. It's maybe got a, it's a little bit little bit fruity. Um, but yeah, it's a really nice style mm, of beer. Nice. And now, so then you've got, we talked about pale ales and IPA, which stands for India Pale Ale. And uh, I was talking about Burton upon Trent earlier, which is where India Pale Ale kind of came from. So they were brewing pale ales. And at that time, we were obviously, as Brits, colonizing the world. Um, and uh, our troops wanted beer. So particularly out in India, where it was too hot to brew beer, um, they decided they would send it on ships. And what they found was that the majority of the beer spoiled on the journey and didn't last. Mm. So they found hops were a preservative. Uh, alcohol is known to be a preservative. So they thought, well, that's fine. We'll put more hops in it and we'll make it stronger. And it worked. So they had pale ale and then they had their what was essentially their export pale ale, which later became known as India pale ale. But uh, it was just a more alcoholic hoppier version of the pale ale that we had at home and eventually it became known as india pale ale and then everybody heard about this wonderful india pale ale and it started becoming popular back in the uk as well and thus because the ipa has like beautiful notes like a fruity notes you've got quite often like tropical fruits mango pineapple does that come from the hops or that yeah is most of that comes brilliant. from the hops so ipa was typically a pale beer so it'll probably be almost 100% pale malt mm -hmm. um, these days. And um, the yeast won't, they'll use relatively clean yeast. So most of the aromas and flavors you get in an IPA will be coming from the hops. Um, and hops, much like grapes, are different depending on where you grow them. So if you grow Sauvignon Blanc in France or in Chile or in Marlborough, New Zealand, the same grapes have different characters from the climate, mm. the soil, everything else. Um, and hops are the same. So what happened was when um, they started growing hops in the States and the climate was so different, those hops actually had roots back in, in Europe in very classic kind of lager hops. But when they were grown in that different climate and different conditions... Uh, they irrigate a lot in the States, so they've got a lot of water. They've got less uh, from the soil uh, because it's they're so intensively kind of um, watered and farmed. A lot of hops are grown in the desert in the States, so it's all on irrigation. Um, and there's different stresses on the plant depending on the condition it's grown in, and so that turns out in different flavors. So we ended up in, when you got to the States, hops that in Europe may have maybe smelt like cut grass or had um, some kind of f f hedgerow fruits. You know, English hops, Fuggles and Goldings are kind of well known for having like hedgerow fruits, blackberries and that kind of thing. When you take it to take the hops to the States and grow them over there, all of a sudden you've got mangoes and lemons and limes and grapefruit and tropical So all those fruits. kind of tropical flavours are, are literally just comes from the hops. Yeah. So there's wow. a hop called Citra because it's citrusy. Citrusy. Okay. Well, I really thought it was going right. to be things Sometimes added. Sometimes you've got things added for sure. The the new beer that I bought the other day definitely have things added. Yeah, so a lot of people now yeah. add 
I think fruit just to or, bring or even extracts more. or something mm-hmm. else to kind of complement it. So you yeah. might get a, a fruited IPA or something yeah. like that. Um, and so things like, say, the, I mean, the well-known one would be Brewdog. Have those generally got stuff added, or those those flavors are just from uh, hops? well? If if you were talking about Punk IPA or yeah. Hazy Jane, yeah. then yeah. that's just hops. Oh wow, oh. interesting. And and um, is that the same case for the sort of the stouts and the porters? Because I like the kind of chocolatey, caramelly. Well, yes. Yeah, so a lot of people will add coffee or chocolate or whatever to their stouts as well so um Umbard do a beer called bueno shake which i know riaz sells from time to time and and that's Alaska. bueno being like kinder bueno so and they they add um, right. to that as well but you get coffee flavors chocolate flavors from the dark malts so sometimes that's already in there sometimes they're just enhancing it yes mm-hmm. um so yeah it depends but yeah that these days there's a lot of people adding all sorts to their beer, to which is great because it means we get beer that tastes like nothing we've had before. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you know, there you can't say I don't like beer anymore because there isn't <laughs> there isn't one flavour <laughs> yes, for beer. True. You know, there's so many different things. And yeah, um, it really seems. I mean, I, obviously, you're you're much more sort of in that world than I am, but it really seems <coughs> as though over maybe the last. Um, Five years or so, there seems to be of like an explosion of craft beers craft and IPAs. Beers, I mean, yeah. even in the supermarkets, because I, I work in opticians, but in Tesco. So, you know, I sort of on my way out, have a quick wander around. And, you know, they've got sort of a serious section of just, you know, IPAs and porters and sort of non-standard stuff, which I'm sure wasn't there five years ago. No, and I mean, it's... It's really tough at the moment for breweries. There's, um, they use a lot of energy, and that's very expensive at the moment, as we know. Yeah. Um, you know whether that's uh, for cooling the beer, boiling the beer. <laughs> you know whether it's for their cleaning, whether it's for delivering the beer. You know everything. Whether the cost of malt production's gone up, the cost of drying hops has gone up. So all of their raw ingredients, the costs have gone up. Then their energy's gone up cost of delivery has gone up, mm. the labour costs have gone up. Mm-hmm. So the breweries are kind of really struggling at the moment and obviously they most breweries like pubs. They don't want to put their prices up because yeah. they know that pubs are mm-hmm. facing the same or very similar yeah. issues. Mm-hmm. So it's a really fine line at the moment and breweries are, are struggling. But there is still, you know, over I think it's over 2,000 breweries now in the UK wow. and, um, you know, 15 years ago I think it was less than... 500 right so um, it's still sort of going growing, in a good yeah. direction i've got my numbers mm-hmm. slightly off there but, but it's there yeah. or thereabouts yeah yeah um, i and mean in in london uh in uh yeah in london in 20 2012 i think there was less than 15 breweries and now i think there's over 200 oh wow that's good going We're in london and and so <laughs> As far as say you wanted to set up, uh, is a microbrewery, is that a, a term for a small one or that's literally like in your shed? No, uh, so a nanobrewery might be in your shed. Right. So a nanobrewery might be kind of 50 litres to a couple of hundred litres or something like that. Right. So when I worked for Borough Wines, which was my last job, we set a nanobrewery up in the basement of one of our shops. Right. We had a little uh, 100 litre 
brew kit. So you would so you would make like a hundred liters of a beer and then sell it and drink it and then make yeah, something we used else. To, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we used, yeah, yeah. Exactly and and, that. and so it's and, really inefficient. Yeah. And so what, what, what's, the, what's then a microbrewery size wise? Uh, I mean, in the in the states they have specific definitions, but um, I mean, a microbrewery could be anything from that up to um, like. 50,000 litres or something like that. Okay. Um, and what sort of maybe more. costs are involved for setting up something small but commercial? Is uh, it like really expensive to set up or...? Yeah, well, I mean, so... Well, actually, let's drink the next beer. Yes. So this, is from, <laughs> yes. this is from a local microbrewery. Uh-huh. Uh, so this is you from... See, I, I'm tuned in. Yeah, this is I'm from London Brewing there. Company, who are based at the Bohemia in North Finchley. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, and there's a brewery... In the pub, you can go really? and see it. You oh. can sit next to it. If you go in the day, they might be brewing. Um, and right, that's also on the list. Yeah, I think that's... I'm gonna go there on Saturday, by the way, with the girls. Oh, yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, yeah, really good, really good wings as well. Really, really oh, good fried chicken. That's yeah, <laughs> I think I might be going with the girls, <laughs> <laughs> might be having a boys' table as well. Uh, so this is a beer called Beer Street, okay. And um, it's the best bitter. But so so they have a 1,000-litre brew kit. Right. Um, they would be considered a microbrewery. And, um, yeah, I mean, to set something like that up, you're going to need a fair bit of money, like with a fair few zeros after it. 50 grand? Probably grand. more, yeah, probably more like 100 or more. Right. Um and that and that and you would produce how much beer for out of that? So you they they produce a thousand liters at a time, right? Which would they, be like four weeks run or something. Or? Uh, so, but they would brew. I think they brew about. I think they brew five times a week, but they can brew twice in one day. So I think they brew two or three days a week. Right. Um, your capacity is then determined by how much. Uh, tanks you've got to right, mm-hmm. right ferment on. the beer and condition the beer in so so the brewing is just the active process yeah. thousand liters but you could be yeah so they have ten thousand they have some double-sized tanks right so they might brew twice into the same tank mm-hmm. the same beer obviously um and then so they can have i think they can have five or six double brews of beer fermenting or conditioning at any one time okay mm-hmm. so it's, that's obviously quite quite a lot so I inspected the the can, <laughs> mm. and it says it's unfiltered. Mm. What does that mean? Yeah, so so this is a, a best bitter, um, and most people will know best bitter as like a Hampel real ale off the bar. It's the brown um, ale that maybe their dad used to drink or something like that. Um, I, I love this style of beer, and it's, uh, it's obviously it's a little bit darker than uh, a, you might expect a pale ale or an IPA to be, although most pale ales were probably this colour, like 40, 50, 60 years ago or more. Yeah, it's almost kind of amber, right? Or <coughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the bitterness comes from the hops. So Yeah, I like hoppy. Um, so, yeah, we've got, the, we've got lots of hops. This is uses English hops, so uses... Fuggles and Goldings in here. Um, and um, when you have a real ale, 
it's in the cask and it conditions in the cask. And if you tried to serve that beer straight away, there would be bits floating in it. It wouldn't have settled. Right. So with cask ale's quite a, a lengthy and, and time-consuming process to be able to serve it properly. So pubs that do it really well um, look after their cask and spend a lot of time doing it. And it's it's not easy. Um, it's very easy to get it wrong, which is why when you get lots of pubs serving it badly, people get put off and think it's cask ale's bad or that brewery's bad, mm, but mm. often it's not. It's just the pubs they've tried mm. it at didn't know how to do it. So um, to keep some of that kind of cask uh, ethos alive, because Beer Street was always a cask beer. It's the, it's the best bitter that they serve in the pub mm-hmm. and have done for a long time. So to keep that alive, they've not filtered it. So they've okay. Lots of beers will get uh, run through a filter to take any kind of bits of extra bits of hot particular or you know little bits of grain and stuff. So if it's unfiltered, you might see a little bit of haze Cinnamon. to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So most of the like hazy pale ales that you see these days won't be filtered because that oh. haze. Some of that might come from yeast. Some of that might come from the grains that they've used. So in wheat beer. They use a lot of wheat, obviously, um, and some of that grain uh, stays in suspension or some of the parts of the grain, some of the parts of the yeast. And then in a lot of the like hazy pale ales and uh, New England style IPAs, which are very kind of thick and, you know, not see through, mm-hmm. a lot of that is uh, hops okay. that, mm. that are left in suspension. I did wonder what hazy IPA is. Yeah, so generally they would be unfiltered, the hazy ones. Okay, and what about fizziness? Where does that come from? Is that fermentation? Yeah, so that's from the the CO2 that's produced in the fermentation by the yeast. Now, not all breweries are able to keep all of that CO2 that is produced, unfortunately, in the beer. It's really difficult. So some beers will have CO2 added Mm -hmm. back to it at the end okay um more and more breweries are working to make their co2 or their breweries more um green um and not to waste co2 but um, i was kind of thinking almost like this is a justification for making beer everywhere right it's like a co2 (laughs) sink it's like yeah yeah we're we're carbon negative we're we're uh, capturing co2 and making beer with it i mean if you can it's really expensive to capture the the co2 yeah so yeah lots of the small breweries they will have to add some co2 to their beer Um, yeah so even some of the bigger breweries so when we had like co2 shortages over the last couple of years Mm -hmm. um some of the bigger breweries weren't capturing their CO2. So they were brewing all this beer. CO2 was disappearing and they were buying tankers of mm-hmm. CO2 and having it tanked into the brewery. And mm-hmm. when there was a CO2 shortage, they couldn't produce any beer, even though wow. they were producing more CO2. than enough CO2. Right. So they've lots of breweries, of big breweries have been putting these plants in and there's been a lot of technology for smaller breweries yeah, to be able to do it as well. We, we learned about this from Riaz because he was explaining about um, the traditional method of sparkling wines yeah. where yeah. it's the fermentation or the, the double fermentation mm-hmm. Yeah. whereas the cheaper stuff, the it's Proseccos added. or whatever, is squirt it in. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. interesting. So are you familiar with in Czech, uh, you, you, 
you can have uh, let's say three times types of serving beer so the amount of foam can be different yes so is that just pumped with co2 is that what creates that huge well, amount of foam uh, so it is, I mean, the foam comes from the CO2, but it all, it's how the CO2 behaves. Mm -hmm. So when, so when in Czech they have a normal beer, we'd have quite a lot of head yeah. and it would be a frothy white head on it. Yeah. Uh, then they might have, like um, half, half. Mm. uh, is the next one a schnitt, schnitt I think, yeah. uh -huh. which is kind of 50, 50. Um, and it's how the tap is opened. So in the Czech, they have a side pour tap, which you can right. kind of have a little bit on or a little bit or open fully. And depending on how you pour the beer is how the foam is created. Because okay. if you take a fizzy liquid, let's say Coca-Cola, if you try to force that through a really small hole, um, then the CO2 breaks out and it gets really fizzy. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you pour it, out of a large hole, the CO2 mm. has a bigger surface area and it doesn't kind of agitate Trust the drink. It, yeah. mm -hmm. So it's similar. So you can agitate the CO2 in the beer to break out into foam. Um, oh. And then the last one is Milko, isn't Milko, it? And that's yeah. all foam, which is delicious. I've never tasted that. I would love to. But that's that's really like a more European thing, the, the foam. Yeah, what, it's, it's that's really that's important to beer. And I think yeah. people underestimate how important it is. And in the UK... People get very, uh, <laughs> very particular about how much foam you've put on their beer, and you know. I was going to say you, it's, it's a you sort know, of you've stolen. You've yeah. stolen, stolen my beer because it's all me. foam. But actually, the foam <laughs> helps keep the aroma in. It mm -hmm. helps keep the beer um, cool. Uh, it does lots of stuff, and and probably you know, adds a little bit to body as well, right? When you drink it, yeah. because you drink a little bit of that. Yeah, because you stink, yes. you drink mm -hmm. through the foam as well. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I, it's really really important, and people don't give it enough credit in, yeah, this, in this country. Yeah, always have, you know, this amount yeah, of foam Yeah, it's, it's yeah. definitely something mm -hmm. that I've noticed more, you know, whenever we're away. Yeah. That, that you tend to get a beer with a with a big head on it. Whereas here, you know, they're very careful to it has go, to be like know, a really, fluff. Yeah. I mean, they're usually <laughs> oversized uh, glasses as well. You True, know, yeah. Yeah, they, so it's quite scary sometimes. You know, as I get older and I can't eat quite as much and then you think, should I order a large beer? And then they bring it and you're like, wow, that's a, that's a large beer. <laughs> yeah. So there's something else in the... Uh, You've got one more. In the box of delights. If not, I've got keys. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> right then. So we've got the, we had three cans and now we're on to a bottle. That that's another um, thing that I've noticed um, recently. Yes. And and again we talked a little bit about this with Riaz about this one is a bit stronger, okay, I'll have a little bit um, about corks and caps. But something that I've noticed a lot recently or more recently with with beers is that yeah, going going back to cans, is that sort of fashion and trend or is that cost of packaging or is there another reason why it's or, or am i just imagining it uh well there's uh, there's lots of that involved so glass is expensive it's um difficult to recycle it's heavy so it costs more to ship it places um cans um the other thing with uh with beer is hops actually react to uv light um so the hop plant is actually a close uh, relative of the marijuana plant um, 
doesn't have any of those same properties. <laughs> However, when you have a beer um, that is left and UV light goes through a glass bottle, that reacts with the hops in that beer. Um, and it uh, changes the flavour compound and the aroma that it gives off is often described as skunky. Oh, wow. <laughs> so beers that... Skunk are, as in skunk weed. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> And it, and, it, and it really can be. And, and green glass or clear glass are the worst for letting UV mm-hmm. light in. So brown glass is a little bit better, which is why you see lots of brown beer bottles, but not enough. And you can get hops that or hop products that are resistant to UV light as well. So lots of the like Mexican beers like Corona and Sol oh, use yeah, hop is. products that don't react to UV light, so they okay. can serve them in clear bottles. But... Uh, If you think of like drinking um, Beck's out of a bottle, that smell um, that Beck's has, that is that flavour, that skunked flavour. And it's kind of almost expected. And Newcastle Brown Ale is served in a clear bottle. Newkey Brown, famous Newcastle beer. And uh, that as well has this characteristic to it. When they tried serving Nuki Brown, they decided to launch it on draft. Nobody liked it. Because they didn't have the characteristics. It, it, yeah. Oh, right. Wow. Because it hadn't been light struck. It hadn't had the UV light interact with the hops, so it tasted and can different. They, could, they, could they light strike it and then put it on tap, or oh, you can't? Or I, it's just too much aggravation? I guess so. Because, yeah, it didn't, didn't take off. Wow. But, yeah, so, it's, it, so cans, obviously don't let uv light through so that's great for hobby beers um so they keep those beers fresher also a crown cap does still let some air in you know it's not completely right you know this is how um you know corks and crown caps wines age you know they need you know they breathe and they age so it's not a perfect seal whereas a can is a much better seal Mm -hmm. so it lets less oxygen in and oxygen can also react with beer in the same way that it does with wine, um, and it will make your beer taste bad. So a can is a lovely thing for keeping a fresh beer. It's lightweight, it's easier to recycle, it's cheaper to ship. And so they, there's and lots of good reasons for cans. I think that, I mean, the thing with a can as well is is that, you know, because I, I, I can remember used to be uh, Carlsberg or Foster's Red Stripe or whatever, but then... I mean, there's there's so many now that, and again, it's probably not the best way to choose, but some of them I just like the way the tins look. <laughs> you know, some of the some <laughs> of the artwork and the colours and yeah. stuff yeah. are fantastic. It, I mean, it's a it's a massive part of mm-hmm. craft beer of now. Craft the beer. the, the right. design and the artwork, and lots this of breweries have full time artists. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. the designers are part of the full time team, or they're you know what, the directors or whatever. Oh well. So what this are we drinking? Because is, this is amazing. Uh, a Trappist ale. Oh. But not from Belgium. I was going to oh, say, if they, if they drink this all the time, they're not getting much <laughs> work done. This one's from Leicestershire. Oh, wow. So uh, we have one Trappist brewery in the UK. I think there's nine around the world in total. There was one in the States, and I don't think that's there anymore. Um, I think there's, there's one in France. Most are in Belgium. And yeah, we have one in, one in the UK. Yeah, this is kind this of. Um, what well, so? What type of beer would so that be? So I suppose it's closest to a Belgian double. 
okay. which is a strong brown ale. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, it's almost kind so of spirity, right? what double refers to? Double amount of... Uh, uh, so Belgians have... Uh, they have double, triple, and they have quadruple as well, and it usually refers to the strength, but okay. it's not double the strength of anything mm-hmm. uh, or triple the strength of anything. So a double might be... Seven percent and a triple might be eight percent. Yeah, so just like extra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it was down to how many. I think they used to record the beer by like a notch. So, okay, you know, this was like two notches. So it was a double, and this was three notches. Three notches so triple. It was a triple or whatever. Mm-hmm. But <coughs> doubles are usually um, darker brown ales, and triples are blonde, um, golden mm-hmm. ales. So this is, yeah, a British take on a... They wanted to have their own personality. They use um, UK ingredients, local where they can. But, yeah, they wanted to... They visited all the all, lots of other Trappist breweries to come up with the recipe and um, and then they, they worked on it, but they wanted something that had their personality. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, this is Tint Meadow. Mm. From, this is really good. good. Really, yeah. I love the sweetness in here. And yeah, it's, it is, all, but almost, almost kind of spirity, mm-hmm. almost kind of like a yeah. You know the alcohol there, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's really got good. so all of that sweetness is. You've got lots of kind of caramel mm-hmm. flavors mm. and yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a really beautiful yeah. beer. That nice, is really nice to have mm-hmm. with with pudding or. With a nice bit of cheese. And mm. I was going to say that must go really well with cheese. Yeah. I can totally see that. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. And so we talked, you talked us through like a few different ingredients, but there's something what really excites me in uh, in beer and it's lactose added. Um, is there any other reason? Because for me, if I buy a beer with lactose, I find that the bottom. Yes. It's more like... Um, yeah, so lactose mm-hmm. is um, milk sugar essentially yeah. mm-hmm. and it's a complex sugar. So yeast can't break it down Yeah. or most yeasts can't break it down as easily. So it tends to leave that residual sweetness in the beer. Mm-hmm. So whereas uh, if, if you just had um, all your sugar from your grain and you left the yeast to do its thing, it would use most of the sugar mm-hmm. and you'd end up with a very dry beer. Most of the sugar's gone, so maybe not too much body. But if you add lactose, you get sweetness and you get body. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite a good... Um, so Milk Stout was the first kind of beer that they used to um, commercially uh, was kind of famous for using lactose. And it was called Milk Stout for that very reason, obviously. But um, yeah, now they use lactose in beers. So it's quite good if you've got a low abv beer where you've not used much um malt so you haven't got much body you can use lactose to build that up Mm -hmm. a lot of alcohol free beers use lactose it's obviously not vegan so it has its challenges um and it's not for everybody but um people that are intolerant lactose intolerant they shouldn't be probably drinking that Uh yeah absolutely or they might um, struggle with like some symptoms. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, a lot of breweries are brewing um, fruited beers, uh, like smoothie kind of beers, pale ales, IPAs, or fruit smoothie things. And um, 
the lactose kind of really helps give a lot of body there and bring some of the sweetness. So, you know, if they're using fruits that are quite acidic, you know, if you're using raspberries, which are really tart, then you can balance that out and mm-hmm. use lactose. So, And does that lactose bring kind of creaminess and milkiness or am I just imagining Yeah, it that? does, but you can do it with other brewing ingredients as well. So you can use oats in a beer to give mm-hmm. body and creaminess. So, um, like, which they do in stout as well, quite a lot. Um, and, um, yeah, you are seeing people starting to use oats. Oats are really good. They give a really good thick head as well on a beer, so, um, or help give a really good thick head. So pale ales and IPAs, people are using oats maybe to do that. So you can use lactose or you can use other things. There's different ways around it. Lactose is used quite a lot in sour-fruited beers as well, and that, balances the mm-hmm. the sweet and sour thing so you kind of get the balance in there a little bit right so on that note sour beer where does that sourness coming from <laughs> <laughs> that depends so if you uh so historically most beer would have been sour when we were using yeast from you know as they used to call god is good i didn't know <laughs> it was yeast they called it god is good uh then there might be all sorts of bugs and whatever floating around in the air at the same time and that gets into the beer so you have sour beer. So probably the most, the truest representation of beers that we might have drunk or how we might have drunk them would be Belgian Flemish reds, sour Belgian beers, Lambic beers and Gers from from those different regions in Belgium. So they would probably be how, and most of that sourness comes from either the yeast that is used or the, the wild yeasts that are in the air. Lambic beer use, is only wild yeast. They don't pitch any yeast at all. Um, it's everything just from their local region, and it, it, it has to be in, the, in, in, the, in one valley. You can only produce Lambic beer in the Brussels region, basically. So what, what, when you say like a wild yeast or whatever... So you're airborne. So are you, are you having like... So Belgian Lambic brewers will um, brew their beer, they'll boil it, they'll do all the other bits and pieces like everybody else, and then they will basically put it in a bathtub mm-hmm. and leave the windows open. Right, it's, okay. it's Obviously, it's a little bit... Yeah, and whatever's in the air will yeah. get but in. The, that bathtub is, uh, <coughs> is called a cool ship, uh, mm-hmm. so that's where the beer cools down, and they leave it in there overnight to cool down, and with the windows open, the yeast comes in, settles on the beer finds a nice warm place to have a party and off it goes (laughs) so that would be yeah then they would then put that beer into for lambic breweries anyway they would put that beer into wood um, and they will reuse uh, oak barrels and oak fooders which are massive big fermentation vats or, or conditioning vats and there'll be residual yeast and uh microbes and friendly bacteria in that wood that will get into the beer and will give it that distinctive flavour. They will then blend those beers so that they get the best out of it. And and something that you mentioned before, that the hops are a close relation to a cannabis plant. I'm sure the answer is going to be yes, but does someone make cannabis beer? Uh, yeah, there's hemp beers. Yeah. But they they, they still would have no, like, THC. Uh, no. So uh, people have, obviously, in the UK... It would, nano, nano, nano breweries. <laughs> uh, I'm sure 
But even Home even abroad, I mean, have and and there I have heard of beers that have been made with cannabis. Um, and but, yeah. so the process effectively would be the same, but you would just use that instead of hops. Uh, yeah, or maybe as well. Or as well as hops. expensive, I would have imagined. To I mean, you just make it for personal use, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 Not going to give it away. But yeah, I don't think you'd probably get mangoes and, and lemons off no. the aroma. Yes. <laughs> skunk and skunk. <laughs> so there you go. Protein beer, amino acid beer, and uh, THC beer. If there's You're anyone entrepreneurial <laughs> that's listening. <laughs> awesome. What else do you want to know about um, beer? What's the most crazy tasting beer that you ever tasted? Oh. Or like unusual? Uh, two spring to mind. One was actually last year when I was at the Carlsberg Research Lab. Um, we were really lucky to to be in this, you know, lab, which is kind of the oldest beer lab in, in Britain. And, and there's still a big research facility at Carlsberg and the head brewer was guiding us through a tasting and he brought out this uh this one beer and uh it was in a clear bottle now which is unusual mm -hmm. as as I've talked about for hops uh, it was a, a champagne style bottle and um it was bright red right like um, well the beer was called Tears of Enzo so if you, it was Ferrari red, this beer, it was, it was ridiculous. And uh, so the brewer poured it for us and let us taste it. And he said, what is it? And we were like, oh, it's strawberries and raspberries. And it's like, oh, it's really fruity. Oh, it's incredible. And it was a, it was a little bit tart, um, not sour. But yeah, really elegant and uh, didn't taste so much of strawberries and raspberries. It smelt like them. So he said, oh, this is, uh, yeah, this is the beer that I, I brewed. You know, where do you think the colour comes from? And we said, oh, the fruit. And he said, no, there's no fruit in it. There's only barley in it. Wow. Uh, he said, we, we've developed a, grain, uh, a variety of barley, um, which is red. And oh, wow. he showed us this barley in it, and it produces this red beer. He also said that he didn't use any hops in this particular beer. Um, so that's why it could be in a clear bottle. And the flavours and aromas literally came from the barley as well. So the, that, those strawberry and raspberry aromas that, that we got. So oh. then... Um, and that, that was called Tears of Enzo. Tears of Enzo. Is that, can you buy that? Or? Well, in one restaurant in the world, right. which is a Michelin star restaurant in Copenhagen. And they sell it for 200 euros a bottle. Okay, we're not going... <laughs> um, I'll just go on the story. Yeah, <laughs> story it was, uh, so yeah, that was that was definitely up there. Right. So <laughs> the the most surprising for me was, and you kind of mentioned that already. I went to Belgo in Camden. Yeah. With a few of my friends, and we are just ordering, like whatever sound you know interesting, whatever we don't know. So. Somehow I've managed to order that Belgium, I think, wine that tastes of vinegar. Okay, so like a, a, a Flemish red, Duchess de Burgoyne or something like that. one, yes. yes, yeah. So what's the story with that? How come it developed yeah, such so a weird flavor? So Duchess de Burgoyne is from uh, a, a brewery in, in Flanders, in the Flemish region of, of Belgium, Brewery Vahaha. 
I think I pronounced that vaguely right. <laughs> um, and Flemish Red is a is a red brown ale, so probably not dissimilar to the the Trappist beer that we've starts out, not dissimilar to that. And then um, it's aged in oak and wooden barrels and fooders, which are massive, like thousand to three thousand liter or more size oak vats um uh, <coughs> and it's left to age for maybe up to three years oh wow in those vats and then again it, it's often blended with younger beer um so Rodenbach is uh one of the most famous and probably most widely distributed Flemish red or Flanders red or Oud Brun it can be called it's all very very similar um styles of beer and different breweries call it something slightly different but yeah, it's blended back, um, and it's it can have a little bit of a malt vinegar kind of aroma, mm-hmm. um, uh, but often it also has uh, cherries or like those kind of fruits and yeah. fruits of the forest yeah. flavors. It's usually the base for a lot of Belgian fruit beers. So Creek, the cherry beer, is usually based. So they use an oud brune and then they age it on fresh cherries. Um, or raspberries for a framboise. So, yeah, it's it's often the base for those fruit beers. And there's a lot of dispute in Belgium because it, it became really unfashionable. So a lot of the bigger brewers who were making those beers started uh, sweetening them artificially uh, to make them more popular. So their fruit beers, they were adding other bits and pieces. And so you've got the kind of purists and then you've got some of the bigger breweries and, yeah. Right, okay, so that actually brings another question to my mind. Okay, so being Polish, uh, it's very popular in Poland, especially being a woman, that you order beer with syrup. So we would add either a raspberry or ginger or mango. It depends what type of beer you have. What is your take on that? Have you ever tried that? And you drink it as well through a straw. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so is it I, a crime <laughs> no so well it brings me on to the other style of sour beer so we talked about the belgian styles and like aging long time um there's uh another style of um sour beer called berliner weiss uh-huh. which um not actually from Berlin. I think it's from hamburg originally but anyway it's called berliner weiss uh weisser being wheat or white um and most berliner vices uh are pale quite acidic um beers and lots of modern craft breweries doing sour beers will make a berliner vice because they can do it more quickly Mm -hmm. so they would actually sour it it kind of sours overnight so they can add um oats or yogurt something with a culture in Mm -hmm. it to sour the beer and then they'll boil it afterwards so then they will pasteurize it essentially so it won't get any more sour Um, and berliner weiss was drink was traditionally drunk by ladies and became they became a kind of a dying breed but in in hamburg they were all drinking berliner weiss with the syrups oh really okay uh so that's why you also get quite um quite a lot of fruited Berliner Weisses, because people kind of decide, the breweries decide they'll do the syrup all in one and serve it. Radler style, I suppose. 
Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, we, we had popular. quite a bit of that when we were recently, right? That's very true. You even like that, right? Yeah, very refreshing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah nice. Yeah. Nice cold beer with a bit of syrup in it. Mm. It's really good. And <laughs> um, one of, of probably the most important things is storage. How do you store beer? Do you store beer, well, if you can store it cold, yeah, store so it cold. Sh- if I buy beer, bring it home, shall I put that into a fridge it's, or...? It's always going to be better. Like if you've got a cool, dark place in that, and like if it's in a bottle, keep it in a dark cupboard because mm-hmm. it's going to help. If you can, keep it cool. If you've got a nice, cool cupboard or if you've got enough space in the fridge, keep it in the fridge. The hoppier beers definitely need more cold storage. Mm-hmm. Um, the hops deteriorate over time and keeping a beer cold will help. Mm-hmm. delay that process so um so yeah if you can keep your beer cold definitely Better. if you can buy from shops that can keep their beer cold um then do so yeah riaz has a fridge where he, he does, keeps yeah. lots of the hoppy mm. beers yeah um does. so yeah always buy the ones out the fridge okay even if you're not going to drink it right away they're, they're definitely stored better that way. All right, thank you. Yeah, yeah and well, something that I, that, I, that I wanted to ask for, um, which was the same as I, I asked uh, Riaz, was for some specific recommendations. So like a couple of good lagers, a couple of good IPAs, you know, ambers. So if people want to <coughs> actually go and try something different, Rather than just saying, "Oh, there's 300 cans. I'll have the orange one and the green one." Have you have you got some recommendations for yeah, different well, beer styles? I mean, I would say so. It depends. It's going to depend on your budget a little bit, um, and you know, I would say spend put put as the 200 as, pound one aside. <laughs> yeah, but we'll, we'll that, ignore, we'll ignore right. that one for now. But um, spend as much as you can on the beer, the same as you would on the wine. You know a lot of the cost of a beer is tax and packaging mm-hmm. and transport and marketing. So spending a, an extra 50p on a beer, a lot of that does actually go to the liquid. Um, and um, look for independent breweries. You know, I'm not saying you shouldn't obviously ever buy beer from big companies or anything like that, but beer that is made by independent companies particularly when you get to know those breweries and trust them, then they're putting a lot more into their beer. They're putting love into that beer as well, and it will taste better. So, um, But, you know, there are independent breweries selling to supermarkets. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say if you were looking for a British, really good British lager, there's a brewery in Derbyshire called um, Thornbridge. They make some amazing beers, but they make a Bavarian-style Hellas called Lucas, which is really, really good. Um, and that you probably find that in some supermarkets. You'll definitely find some other Thornbridge beers. Their IPA, Jaipur, is really delicious. Um, so you'll find that. If um, And then I would probably say outside of a couple of, you know, UK producers, so Pillars in London make really good lager. Um, they're over in Walthamstow. Um, they make beautiful lagers. Would that be supermarket available no, or not? No. No. So they're mainly in pubs and bottle shops in and around London. Okay. Pillars. Um, but yeah, and you can go and drink it at the tap room and Walthamstow as well. But, right. Um, so, but other than that, I'd say look for like proper European 
independent um, breweries. So Augustina is an amazing German brewery. Their Helles is beautiful and lots of independent bottle shops like Hotburns and Black or um, Beers of Europe Online will will sell it. And it's probably going to cost you anywhere from kind of three to th- 350 375 a bottle so it's not it's, it's not price. cheap you know because you can pick up a 12 pack of stella for however much in the supermarket <laughs> yeah. but it's it's really good um obviously i also have to say stiegel like look out for that it's an yeah. amazing brewery um you know we're really proud to import them into the uk and uh so are you are you the the sole importer for those and yeah. and so what other beers do they do stiegel have so they got stiegel a whole range do, um a lager well, we import um, their main lager, which is Gold Broy, uh, or Gold Brew, um, and that's a 5% Austrian-style lager. It's kind of in between uh, Helles and a Czech Pilsner, so, mm-hmm. and they sit in between the, the two, so it kind of makes sense. They have this kind of hybrid beer. It's really, really good. Um, so we also bring in the Radler. They do a wheat beer, which is just won some awards it's beaten like bavarian proper bavarian wheat beers at their own game kind of thing recently um but stiegel also have a small brewery that they produce kind of one-offs they do we've got like russian imperial stouts aged on in kirsch barrels and things like that Mm -hmm. they do all sorts and those uh stiegel beers where are they available because you guys it's kind of cases and stuff you sell and do yeah, you I mean, and we, we would that be retail to, or no so well uh, the grapefruit radler's in sainsbury's okay uh, so it's in about 200 sainsbury's including the one in north finchley right um so yeah that's handy for me uh <laughs> if i forget to pick some up at the warehouse um but the, the goldbroy is not available in supermarkets but lots of bottle shops and online bottle shops sell it um there's some uh, the bohemia Mm-hmm. Yeah, in North Finchley sells it. Uh, there's some amazing groups and restaurants that have it. So Meat Liquor, the Burger Bars yes, have yeah. um, Stiegel. That's their kind of main lager. There's a group of pubs in in West London called Cubit House that have it. Um, up north in uh, Manchester and um, Liverpool and Leeds, there's a group called Albert Schloss, and they sell amazing lagers, including Stiegel. Um, so yeah, it's kind of we we um, we distribute Stiegel kind of all over the all over the country. Um, there's a there's a pub in I don't know how there's a pub in Rochester in Kent that gets through called Three Sheets to the Wind. They get through a ridiculous amount of Stiegel. Well, that's how you Three so. Sheets to the Wind, right? I mean, <laughs> at two percent, you got to drink a lot yeah. to <laughs> to get drunk. So yeah, so it's on, it's on draft in loads of places in London um, and uh, and further afield as as we've grown the business over the last few years. But yeah, keep an eye out for like independent German, Czech breweries in particular. Um, and and any recommendations for darker porters? Yeah, so... What, actually, what's the difference between porter and stout? We haven't got time for that. No, oh. um, no. so... <laughs> give me the, give me the so real... So porter you know. was originally in London uh, or, or started, was brewed in London originally and it was named after the market porters who ferried everything around like the the and it's what they used to drink at the end of the night and um or at the end of their shift uh stout porter 
they didn't have much money, so porter was quite a cheap drink, so it wasn't made very strong because they didn't use too much malt. Um, stout porter is a, used to be a strong porter, so you can ha- you could have a stout pale ale, which we would now know as an India pale ale, for example. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so originally it was a stronger version of a porter. Now they're probably pretty synonymous. There's, right. Porters would most people would tend to expect them to be a little bit drier, um, a bit more bitter, and stouts people would expect to be a little bit sweeter. But right. they're pretty similar these days. And do do you, do you have something that you guys carry that's yeah? Delicious? So um, well, I mean, actually, the Bohemia London Brewing Co. Make uh, they have a um, they they have a beer called Oyster Stout which they serve on cask, and they actually put oysters, so it's not vegan, um, as well, but they actually put oysters in the brew. What? Yeah. So oysters used to be cheap. So, I was going to um, say, how much does well, it cost? They, yeah, well, they, so it was, a, it was peasant food oysters originally, and I think they used to crush the shells up and put them in, and it would uh, help filter the beer. Um, wow. I think that's why they did it originally. But so the Bohemia do that, but they also do a vegan version, um, and they they have a stout on like a better than Guinness stout. Did you say that's where tap. you're going? I, I was hoping. Yeah, but you now go. I'm worried about the oyster beer. Have that second. Well, yeah, don't, it have says, a second. it's called oyster stout, so you can't miss it. You don't you have a. Okay. Have the ones if we that go in there on Saturday, I'll be definitely tasting that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I. Uh, there's, uh, there's so there's a little brewery in in London called Ansbach and Hobday. Um, they started out in Bermondsey in a railway arch, as every brewery does in London these days. Um, and they've just released uh, a beer called London Black, and uh, mm. so they're trying to um, convince people that don't want to buy Guinness from a massive multinational company that right. there's a, another option. An so, alternative. So uh, so they're doing really well as well. But I would say, like, with stouts, a lot of them tend to be, the more interesting ones tend to be seasonal, so, or one-offs. So, like, the Umbard down in Brighton do Bueno Shake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's quite a cool beer. It's really, really yeah, tasty. Yeah, that sounds good. But yeah, there's... You, can, you uh, like Kinder Bueno, right? I do. <laughs> so yeah. That sounds really good. Yeah, so there's... Yeah, and in, in terms of... Pale ales and IPAs, like find the breweries that you you like and the styles that you like. There's, you know, IPA can be really bitter if they've put lots of hops in at the beginning, uh, and then it can be not bitter at all if they've hardly put any hops in at the start of that boil, and all of the hops have been added later for aroma. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, like I mentioned, uh, I've been to a brewery in Cheltenham, Dea. Um, recently so day a steady rolling man is an incredible hazy pale ale not too bitter really just easy to drink and uh, yeah riaz has normally got that in oh, the nice. shop so stone keep, wines go go yeah, to stone, stone wines, wines in whetstone but yeah so keep an eye at Dea um verdant who are based down in falmouth um making incredible pale ales and ipas at the moment as well and there's yeah there's some some really good breweries in and around london so gypsy hill drop projects from both of them from south london doing some uh, some really cool kind of pale ales and we and gotta get a lot ales. of beers to try 
Oh, I'm, I'm thinking like as soon as I go home, I need to listen to this back so <laughs> with a pencil and a paper. And this, and it's going to be another one of those. Yeah, yeah. Get, sit down with this one with a with a little notepad. <laughs> get your recommendations. <laughs> is, is there anything else we should have asked you about beer that we didn't? Oh I, well, I could carry on talking about beer forever, as you probably gathered. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, can, I, we can always do a follow up. But did we did we miss anything? You know, vital. No, I think we've covered loads of styles. We've covered how to taste it, how to um, how to store it. So, no, I think, yeah, the most important thing I would say is try to buy from independent breweries mm-hmm. and try to buy from independent shops and support. Yeah, support same those with everything at right? the moment. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's really important, and you know, it does cost a little bit more. But I would say, um, drink less, just drink better. better. Yeah, I mean it's the same. You know, I've 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 tried recently to. Well, I, I do now get all my meat from the butcher around the corner, which mm-hmm. is a bit more expensive, but it's much nicer. Much and yeah. hopefully, he's still going to be there selling meat next year and the year after, because I go and buy meat from him. So and yeah. on top of that, if you are buying from like a local breweries as well, you can you don't need to stick to one thing as well. You can start like exploring, which probably will be much more enjoyable experience for you as well yeah, right? yeah. having every single time yeah, something yeah. different yeah, yeah i mean over um over lockdown the supermarkets kind of went crazy on craft beer because yeah. that's where everybody was shopping but they've scaled it back mm-hmm. quite a lot um so there isn't as much variety in the supermarkets now um they're definitely buying what they know they can sell not the breadth of mm-hmm. beer styles that are available so it's definitely worth going to kind of good independent beer shops. There's there's um, a good couple in and around North London, North and East London, so Clapton Craft and Caps and Taps. And then, uh, yeah, Hops, Hot Burns and Black in, have got a few shops in South London. So there's... I think there's a there's a little beer shop. Is it still there in St Albans as well? Opposite think, yeah, uh, Shea Montoya must, where we eat. It must be there. But I don't know as well in London, there's yeah, quite, there's, quite uh, there's a there's a there's a nice one in um, Rickmansworth called Wishful Drinking as well. <laughs> Good, name. Good name. Yeah, yeah. Right before we finish, so I've got like a one <coughs> question you can answer with two words. So, <laughs> uh, the best food for you that goes with beer. Oh, come on! You have one choice. <laughs> One food. Well, anything but cheese, probably. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great with food. It goes really well with lots of food. But yeah, but cheese, yeah. cheese is the most enjoyable thing to have with beer. Okay. Cool. I think. Yeah, I had. I, I think. I think one of the nicest that I had recently was when we were in Poland. We had um, some beef tartar, some sweet potato fries but you know really sort of crispy and seasoned and and beer, and beer that yeah. and that, that was, was amazing mm-hmm. that was really good yeah it's just beer is kind of comfort food but liquid, liquid. <laughs> yeah yeah so uh so i'm sure uh everyone loves a beer right so i think hopefully after listening to that you can try something different so if you always Be get brave. the same Be thing bold. Get something different. And if you always get something different, get something even more different. <laughs> and um, that's Stiegel. I'm definitely going to say that's my recommendation from that. That's, yeah, the, this this one, the, the Trappist beer was good, but I mean, it's strong. It's I'm yummy. thinking that's Stiegel. That's the, 
this is the jujitsu beer. <laughs> this is like off. Just you know, if you if you if you've got an academy, if you're listening to this, get a little fridge and fill it up with that. And how much is that for a can? Uh, I think it's two pounds in Sainsbury's. Right. Oh, wow. So okay. so two pound fifty. Affordable. In the in mm-hmm. the academy. Happy days. Everyone's doing well. <laughs> so yeah, I hope I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you've learned. Uh, some some beer stuff. I hope your beer game is is elevated. We'll put links in the in the show notes for what we tasted and for the other things, as many of them as I can find that that have been uh, recommended by Mitch. Thank you very much for coming down. At the end of probably a long day, I know you had to travel and travel and travel and to get uh, up here yeah, after just, a, uh, just running around after the toddler maybe yeah <laughs> so we, we we really appreciate you coming in and, and um, introducing us to yeah and and euro boozer is is you don't really retail it's more supply to trade no i mean we can sell to the public but it's cases yeah. and kegs so yeah we're a, we're a distributor and um so we sell obviously to sainsbury's and we sell to you know the local independent shop but yeah we distribute mm, our kind of main business has always been pubs and like yeah. hospitality yeah that's uh, yeah. what we're really good at yeah so. amazing so and euro is uh, at euro boozer on instagram yes any any other social media Are you, i think you're at euro boozer on twitter as well right yeah so, so you, is that euro boozer on twitter and instagram and uh, there's a at stiegel uk um at both, stiegel uk on, on Insta. a dot and Twitter's an underscore. Okay, randomly. so Stiegel but, UK on Instagram and Twitter as well. And obviously White Basement Pod. Obviously. Obviously. And uh, <laughs> and if you enjoyed this one, then uh, this is going to be, I think, episode 25. So 20, 22, 23 is on wine with Riaz from Stone Wines. And 20 is on coffee with Gosha from anything to do with coffee. So uh, yeah, if you if you if you're into your the coffee one's good. Did you enjoy? Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. I, did. I was listening on my commute. <laughs> yeah, that one we've had good uh, good good feedback on that one. So uh, yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna have one coming up soon on tea. tea. Mm-hmm. So if you like your you know drinks, then um, you can find that one. That one will probably be available a few weeks after this one. So uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Get some beers. Enjoy your beers, keep them cold in the fridge, and um, we'll catch you next time. If you don't deserve my love, you won't get it, no credit. Me over once and regret it, yeah, I said it. Feelings and emotions, I can shed it, re-edit. I'm running from my past, yeah, I let it through the